of my entire 58-year existence. Wow, they were some bad weeks. They were. They were really, really bad weeks. Prior to those two weeks, I had been selected to be a part of the newly formed motorcycle unit at the Liberal Police Department. And I was really excited about that. I was. I was pretty pumped about that. And uh, prior to being able to actually work on the streets, you had to be certified. And so myself and four other men, we made our way up to Garden City where the training would be and where the certification would take place. And, and I'll be honest with you, I really wasn't too concerned about it. At that point in my life, I had been riding motorcycles of all kinds for 40 years at least. And uh, so I really wasn't too concerned. And, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing that I, at that point, I probably had more motorcycle riding experience than the others that were going. There may have been one that was old like me that uh, would, have, would have been up there. But the other whippersnappers, I, I know that I had more riding experience than they did, and so I was ready to kill it. It liked to kill me. Honestly, I was not prepared for those two weeks. It didn't take me very long at all to realize that everything I'd ever learned, anything I'd ever done riding motorcycles up to that point did not count. I mean, it just did not count. This was a whole new ball game. And I wasn't ready for it. And what I thought was going to be a pretty simple endeavor turned out, honestly, to be the most demanding, the most difficult training that I have ever been through. I remember getting so frustrated that first week. It was right before lunch. And I remember the other guys were, had already finished and they were parked and they were standing there. I remember riding my motorcycle over there, slamming down the kickstand, taking my helmet off, placing it on the mirror and saying, and I quote, I'm done. I'm done. And I was. I was done. I don't know that I had ever been as stressed ever in my life, including the remodel of this building, which was a stressful experience for me. But even, even my worst day of stress Remodeling 70,000 square foot of building did not compare to those 
things that I encountered during motor school. I got so stressed that I started developing shingles. Now, I say all of that to say this. Looking back on it, one of my problems from the very beginning was that I was comparing myself to those other four guys. Now, again, I was pretty sure that I had more real-life motorcycle experience than they did. Yet I was the worst one out there. It was frustrating. It was aggravating. It was stressful. Because the more I judged where I was based upon where they were, the more stressed I got. I saw them going from, from obstacle to obstacle to obstacle, and I was still on the first one. I couldn't get through the first one. And so I would sit there and I would watch them and compare where they were to where I was, and it was stressful. I want to preach to you today on the sin of comparison. Now, earlier in the week when I typed that sentence, I typed it like this. I want to preach to you today on the subject of comparison. Then I got to thinking to myself that that's really an easy way out. Because comparison really is a sin, and it, it's a sin that destroys people's lives every day. And so we're not just going to cover the subject of comparison this morning. We're going to talk about the sin of comparison. And we'll do it from John chapter 21. I told you that I, just could, I would not be able to live with myself if I ended this series with 59 messages. I, I just don't work that way. 59 is not an acceptable number. So I knew there was one more message in here. I really feel good about ending this series with message 60 and not 59. Now, I hope you'll come back next week. Next week is our friend day. It's going to be a huge day. And I hope that, as I speak in our church family, I hope you've got some folks lined up to come and, and be here with you. We're going to be privileged to have Evangelist Dave Young with us. He's never been to Fellowship Baptist Church before, so I'm excited about him coming. Many of my pastor friends have him come to their church every year, and uh, he preaches all over, and, and I know that he will be a blessing to you and your friends next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, uh, I'll call him Pastor Tyler. I'm trying to get into that mode where I refer to him not just as Brother Tyler, but as Pastor Tyler, because that's who he's going to be, Lord willing, in a couple of years. He's going to start a series, I believe, from the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings. And I know that that will be, that's a rich book. And I know that that will be a blessing to you. And so I hope that you'll make plans 
over the course of the remainder of this year to be in God's house. Now, just so we're on the same page, when we talk about comparison, here's how I'm going to define it today, determining where I am based upon where everyone else is. Determining where I am based upon where everyone else is. I think if we were all honest this morning, we would admit that we spend at least some time looking and comparing and thinking to ourselves, why don't I have what they have? How come I can't do that? How come our family can't go there? Why am I not like that? How come I can't look that way? And with the advent of social media, that frustration has only been multiplied a thousand times, right? I mean, you finally get up enough courage to go to the gym, and you go and you, jumped on, you jump on the elliptical, 30 minutes later, I mean, you're about to die, but you are so stoked about those two miles that you just ellipted. And while you're cooling down, you get out your phone, you open up Instagram, and there's CrossFit Charlie. He just finished two miles on his hands, carrying a two-pound kettlebell between his legs. Bummer. Or maybe this, you're home on Friday night, been a good week, feeling good about yourself, and you're just chilling out, life's good. You get on Facebook, and there's your friend. She's out with her man. They're dressed up all nice. They're at a nice restaurant. They're having a great meal. They're just loving life. And all of a sudden, you're Friday night on the couch in your sweatpants with your frozen pizza and your man in his underwear on the floor <laughs> playing video games. Just isn't quite as impressive, is it? <laughs> and you know I could go on and on with those kinds of scenarios. Let me just help you here. You can't compare your real life with your friend's social media life. Surely you realize that most people aren't what they post, right? You get that. Real life happens behind all the crops and the filters. As someone said to me this week, we can't compare our behind-the-scenes footage to someone's highlight reel. The grass always, always, always looks greener on social media. Can I get a witness right there? But this is how comparison works. It's such a subtle sin because it's almost always internal. 
Comparison is one of Satan's greatest tools against Christians because it's so easy for him to use. He really doesn't have to do anything other than get our eyes off of Jesus. Because he knows the moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus, then we're going to begin comparing ourselves with everybody else around us. And we're going to begin thinking thoughts like, if only I had as much money as him, as if only I was as smart as her, if only I looked like her, if only my marriage was like their marriage, if only my kids were as well behaved as theirs are, if only my parents weren't so controlling, if only I could teach or sing or cook or build or do or be like somebody else, then I would be happy. Be careful. You listening? Be careful. That's the devil talking. If only are possibly two of the deadliest words in all of the Christian vocabulary. I want you to follow as I share this quote with you from author Jekyll Crow that I think perfectly sums up the danger of comparison. Look at it. We are plagued by comparison. We compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our stuff, our intellects in an ever-increasing desire for complete satisfaction. We want to be attractive, successful, and happy. So we measure ourselves against the people around us. But instead of resulting in contentment, our comparison delivers compulsive jealousy, pride, and shame. We envy those who are better than us and we look down on those who are worse than us. And once we've started comparing ourselves, we slide into a bitterly insatiable cycle. The more we compare ourselves, the more we need to compare ourselves. It's an easy addiction. We're on a quest for acceptance and joy but are paralyzed by the pressure to look, do, and be better than the people around us. Because of this, we are distracted from our purpose, mission, and need to pursue holiness. This is why comparison is so deadly. Does that resonate with anybody today? All right, a few of you, a handful of you, the rest of you for the remainder of this service just continue polishing your halos because the rest of us are going to deal with real life where we live where we struggle where we wrestle every single day so pastor how do we deal with this well, I think our text gives us some good advice Remember, if you were with us last week, you know that the disciples are, are no longer in Jerusalem. They're now on the Sea of Galilee. They fished all night, and they got skunked, caught nothing. And so they're making their way back to the shore when some know-it-all on the shore says, Hey, did you catch anything? Don't you hate those guys? 
No, we didn't catch anything. I guess it just wasn't our day. And then the know-it-all says this. Well, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the ship? Why don't you just shut up? But they do it anyway. And boom! That net fills up with fish. So many fish that they can't hardly get it into the boat. And then it dawns on John. That know-it-all on the shore really does know it all. It's Jesus. And before the others could get the net in and start rowing towards shore, Peter jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. And then as the others get there, they enjoy a wonderful meal around the fire that Jesus had prepared for them. And as we saw last Sunday, Jesus uses that moment in time to restore Peter to a place of fellowship and youthfulness because prior to that, Peter had, had denied him and had failed him so miserably. So let's pick up the story. We'll, we'll overlap a little bit with last week, but I want you to look at verse 18. Verily, verily, this is Jesus speaking. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young and Thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Then spake he, verse 19, this spake he, signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And then look at this, and when he had spoken this, Jesus said unto him, he said unto Peter, follow me. Those two words, follow me, had to have been music to Peter's ears. Because Jesus was giving him the chance to begin again. It's awesome. <laughs> but no sooner had Peter accepted the invitation to follow Jesus again, and he does this. Look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also had leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So we know that he's talking about John. He looks at John, who is the author of the Gospel of John. And in verse 21, Peter, seeing him... He says this to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Let me use a little sanctified imagination here for just a minute. Peter reaches into his toga and pulls out his iPhone and he opens up Instagram and he says, Lord, he sees a picture of John. Lord, what, what, what's this guy going to do? At that moment, Jesus probably just rolls his eyes and said, Peter, would you just put that stupid phone away and quit comparing yourself with everybody else? Verse 22, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Peter, 
Listen, son, if I decide to keep him alive forever, that's none of your business. You need to just stay focused on me. And with that, let's consider for a moment the cost of comparison. Comparison always forces us to see the world through the lens of better than or worse than. So you look at someone and you determine that you're better than them or you're more superior to them in some way, and that reveals the first cost of comparison, which is pride. It's what one preacher called living in the land of Ur. Those who live in the land of Ur just don't need to have something. What they have needs to have more Ur than somebody else. So they have to be rich Ur, skinny Ur, happy Ur, smart Ur, tall Ur. Pretty er, cool er, talented er. This is where Peter was living. He didn't want to glorify Jesus, he wanted to be glorifier. Then Peter, or excuse me, then John. Reminds me of the story in Luke chapter 18. We have the Pharisee standing there, and he's praying, and he says this, Lord, I am so glad that I'm not like other men are. You remember that story? This guy thought that as long as he was more er than everybody else, that that somehow made him worthy and respectable. In God's eyes. And I, I know what you're thinking this morning. Well, preacher, I would never pray like that. And I'll go with you there because I don't think I would ever pray that way either. But let's be honest. As Christians, we can be pretty adept at times at finding others who are worse than we are and thinking in our minds, though we would never say that with our lips, we, we think in our minds, man, I'm glad that I'm better than she is. Ah, I'm glad my kids are better than their kids. I'm glad I got a better job than that guy's got. We never say that with our lips, but in our minds, that's where we are sometimes. Church, can I just remind you of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And here's how we ought to think, church. I did nothing to deserve my salvation. I was a wicked, lost sinner who was on his way to hell when Jesus stepped in and saved me. I have zero to boast of. 
other than Jesus and His grace. That kind of thinking will do away with pride. Here's the second cost of comparison. It's jealousy or resentment. Jealousy says, I wish I had it. Resentment says, I wish they didn't have it. Have you ever known someone in whose life everything just seems to go right? You with me? I mean, everything in their life just seems to, to go right. And then there's that moment, that brief moment in history when something doesn't go right. And you're like, again, you would never say that. But there's just, even if it's just a smidgen, there's this little bit of joy that says, ah, their life is real. Again, we would never say that. But that's okay. We're in church here, and in this church, it's okay not to be okay. But how messed up is that? Yeah! It didn't go their way. You resent what God does for others because you've gotten caught up in comparing what He's given them versus what He has supposedly withheld from you. Comparison always, listen to this, Comparison always leads to resenting God's goodness to others while ignoring His blessings to us. Can we read that again? Comparison always leads to resenting God's goodness to others while ignoring His blessings to us. I saw something the other day that I'd seen many times before, and no doubt you've seen it many times before, but it was a good reminder for me. And it said, what if you woke up tomorrow with, the, with only the things you thanked God for today? That's pretty sobering, isn't it? What if you wake up tomorrow only with the things that you've thanked God for today? Church, listen, there's no need to be jealous when we have everything we need in Jesus. Let me give you a third cost of comparison real quick. It's insecurity. When we are overrun by insecurity, we scramble to find an external way to satisfy an internal longing. But listen, external possessions can never take the place of an internal peace found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's the cost of comparison. But what's the cure? Well, it's not really very deep, and it really it's not very complicated. It's simply this. 
follow Jesus. That's the cure for comparison. Follow Jesus. Look at verse 22 again. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus has called us to do the same thing, church. Follow him. Be like Jesus. Paul put it this way in Hebrews 12. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Literally, the race that is marked out for us. And then he says this, looking unto, finish it, who is it? Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Like an Olympic runner who keeps their eyes on the finish line, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. We aren't to be looking around to see what others are doing or aren't doing. Keep your eyes on Jesus and stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Look at the person next to you and say, stay in your lane. Absolutely, stay in your lane. Don't worry about what someone else is doing in their lane. Their lane is not your lane. Their lane is their lane. And your lane is your lane. Don't worry about what Jesus is calling them to do. What's that to you? No, serious, what's that to you? How is that any of your business? What Jesus is calling somebody else to do. What's that to you if everything seems to always go their way? Stay in your lane. Follow Jesus. What's that to you that she can manage five kids at the same time and still keep her house clean? What's that to you? Stay in your lane. Follow Jesus. What's that to you that they got a new home? Or a new car? Or a new home and a new car? Stay in your lane. Follow Jesus. What's that to you that she's had a date every Friday night this week? Stay in your lane. Follow Jesus. What's that to you that they never study and they still make straight A's? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What's that to you that they get to sing more solos? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. If you think that you need Jesus plus something or someone else that's in another lane in order for you to be happy or satisfied. I love you this morning, church, but you're messed up. You're messed up. Because Jesus is all you need. The beauty of the gospel is that even without stuff, 
listen to me, even without stuff, you are loved unconditionally by your heavenly Father who has a lane marked out in life just for you. Listen, if you're not content, if you're not content with what you have, you will not be content with what you want. Chew on that for a minute. If you're not content with what you have, you will not be content with what you want. God help us to come to the place in our lives where we can say that if all Jesus ever did for me was save me, that would be enough. Because quite honestly, that's more than we deserve. Listen, you were gifted to do exactly what God has for you to do in the exact time and the exact way he has called you to do it. Now here's what that means today. You are one of a kind. Seriously. You're one of a kind. So why bother comparing yourself to someone else? There is nobody else like you. And you're not like anybody else. In his book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers wrote these convicting words. The way we continually talk about our own inabilities is an insult to our Creator. To complain over our incompetence is to accuse God falsely of having overlooked us. Wake up and realize that God did something totally unique when He made you. There is a life, there's a plan, there's a future that has your name on it and only your name. You are an original. You can't be compared with anyone else. You're in a category all by yourself. You are who God says you are. Are you listening? You are who God says you are, not what anybody else says you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made to be you. So be the best you you can be. So that means you're not just a teacher. You are God's representative in the classroom, assigned to give time and attention to students who probably don't get it at home. And you're to do it just like Jesus would. You're not just a nurse. You are God's representative in the medical field of what it looks like when Jesus cares for someone who's hurting. You're not just a carpenter or a mechanic or a maintenance person. You are God's representative to show how to use the skills He's given you to make other people's lives better. Yeah. 
You're not just a first responder. You are God's representative to show respect for all people, regardless of whether they respect you back. And ladies, you're not just a stay-at-home mom. Oh, no. You are God's representative in your home so your kids can see how Jesus will never stop loving them, being patient with them, will always be faithful to them, will never give up on them, and will always be there to love on them when they hurt. God made you exactly who you are. And He does not make mistakes. Say this with me this morning. God doesn't make mistakes, and He made me. Say it again. God doesn't make mistakes, and He made me.